Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, writer at the Leafs Nation. Nick, how are you doing today? Doing good. I think uh, I think we're both really happy with how many questions we got for this mailbag. I think we have a lot to talk about today, so I think we'll start with Petrangelo, so I think we could just start there. That's the, the talk of the town right now. Yeah, so I, I think we have to start with Petrangelo, and then we'll kind of get towards the non-Petrangelo-related questions, but... Petrangelo is definitely the the big topic right now. I think last podcast we said, you know, less than five percent chance he signs with the Leafs, um, but but now it seems like he's likely to hit the open market. Uh, LeBron's saying that there's mutual interest with the Leafs. Uh, structure seems to be a big important factor and a reason why he might leave St. Louis in terms of signing bonuses and a no move clause. Uh, so Nick, just general thoughts on on Alex Petrangelo and the possibility that he signs with the Leafs. Well, it's interesting because I think on our last podcast, um, my percentage of Petrangelo signing with the Leafs was around 5%. I think you had it a little bit lower than that. And now, like almost two weeks later, it looks like the, the chances of the Leafs getting him, I still I still think they are very low. Um, but I would say they're higher than 5%. I'm starting to creep up towards like 7 to 8%, uh, just given what it looks like the talks are between St. Louis and Petrangelo. So have your numbers gone up a little bit, or are you still around like three, four percent? No, I'm way up. I'd say like twenty percent. I was expecting him up to twenty percent. Yeah, they still got to make moves. <laughs> like it, at the time, I thought St. Louis wasn't going to. I thought St. Louis was going to resign him for sure. Now it seems like he's likely to hit the open market, and there's just not like you have to look at who the suitors are as well. Um, you know, LeBron did say that there's mutual interest with the Leafs. Uh, you know, I think Vegas would also be a fit. But then any team that's not a contender, like Ottawa-Detroit, I don't see them being a fit just because, you know, his prime doesn't really align with their contention windows. And you have teams like Montreal with Weber Petrie that isn't a really great fit um, at right defense. And then you just have a lot of teams right now that just don't have the money to, to do that. And, and Petrangelo wants signing bonuses. I don't think there's, you know, a lot of teams aren't going to be able to do that right now. So... I do think that the numbers have skyrocketed. I do think it's a chance. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a sign and trade. Basically, uh, it, it does sound like you know maybe the Leafs to get the AAV down. They go to eight years. I'm a bit scared just based on what you know defensemen over thirty how they can age. Um, so for me, the big thing is structure. Uh, can I get out of that deal if it goes wrong? Is there a full no move clause at the end? Uh, or can I pull something like what happened with Marlowe, where if the deal's not looking good, I can I can trade the deal. Uh, I might have to give up a pick, but at least I can get out of it. Nick, what what are your thoughts just on you know giving him say a seven or eight year deal north of eight million? Well, I think a lot has to do with the pieces that you have to move out and the value that you get there. Um, if you're not getting good value for guys like Kerfoot or Janssen, and you know I, I just don't really see why you'd give a, a long term contract to a guy like Petrangelo. Um, so I think that that's why like my percentage is still really low. I think it's still like, maybe it's gone up a couple percent to like seven to 8% now. Uh, I still think a lot of things ha- need to happen and a lot of trades need to happen for Petrangelo to even come in. And we don't even know like if this is, it looks like he's going to hit the open market, but there's still some time before that happens where I still think he's going to resign with St. Louis. Um, obviously really good in the locker room. He's the captain there. So um and then yeah like you said like 
you know, are you going to do the Leafs? Are the Leafs even interested, you know, seriously interested in giving a 30 year old a long term contract where, like, they already have so much money, first of all, in four players? And I know there's, there's so much talk about that, but, you know, adding another big contract to, to the top of their lineup uh, might not be the best option, even though Petrangelo is extremely good and I think he makes them a better team. But, you know, at what price does that come at? Obviously, you're adding another contract. Plus, you're you're going to have to lose guys like Kerfoot and Janssen, um, and maybe even Morgan Riley if they want to go that route. So, still really low um, percentage that I think it's going to happen. But uh, at least there's hope now. Yeah. So I think this apparently the structure in turn matters a ton for Petrangelo. Uh, apparently, the offer was somewhere around seven years or sorry, eight years by eight, um, which would be about sixty-four million. Um, but the big holdup there is is really the structure, it sounds like. Petrangelo wants signing bonuses. St. Louis has never given out signing bonuses. Uh, and it seems like they're they're kind of taking a hard stance on that. Um, and I know the Leafs, you know, the Leafs are going to have no problem giving signing bonuses, as we've seen with Matthews, Marner, and Petrangelo uh, specifically. So I do think that, like, we are hearing that there's mutual interest, uh, both LeBron and Drager. Um, have have been saying that at least. Uh, so I do think it's more likely. I would be, you know, I, I am kind of scared of the deal, particularly if there's a full no move and you can't really move him at the end. Um, but, I mean, it is, and the pro to signing him is that you would be very, very good, likely, in the first few years. I don't really think Kerfoot and Janssen are going to change much in that decision. If they want Petrangelo, if they're happy with the price, I think they go through with it and they'll, they'll figure out where to move Janssen and Kerfoot later. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think Vegas and the Leafs are kind of the two big suitors that I see if, if he does move. Um, and, and you can, and, and we'll get into the first question here actually next. So uh, Willie the Cat on Twitter, that's the <laughs> handle, pros and cons to signing Petrangelo, and if they make a trade, why shouldn't it be Nylander? So I think the pros, Nick, He's perfect for this team. He's elite, top-pairing guy if Team Canada play today. What else do you have for the pros? I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, he's a perfect player to play with Morgan Riley. Um, he's, won, he's won a cup before. Obviously, he has that championship pedigree. Uh, he can eat up big minutes. He can penalty kill. He's had very good defensive impacts. He can hold his own when he moves the puck. He can play on the power play if it's needed. Um that's that's I mean his his on ice performance and even you know in the locker room I think is is kind of the big things that he would provide the Leafs, um, you know on paper it's a, it's a perfect fit for the Leafs if if it was like a if there was no salary cap whatsoever this would be like the perfect thing perfect player uh, to come to the Leafs, uh, but I I think there are a ton of cons as as we've kind of already touched upon them uh, a ton of them anyway uh, age being one having another big contract at the top of your lineup. Um, and just the decline over the contract if it's a long-term contract. So I'm still weary of the deal in in general, but I, I do think that if you get Petrangelo, like like you said, those first few years you're gonna get a very good top four of having Muzzin. Let's say it's Muzzin Hall, Riley, and Petrangelo. Like that sounds amazing. It does, especially with Sandine and Lilligren on the way. Um, I I think you spelled it out perfectly there. Uh, it would give them kind of a, like a four-year all-in window where you have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Petrangelo. 
Uh, it does make it more difficult, and I'll put this under the cons here, is uh, it would be tougher to re-sign Morgan Riley if if you're if that's what the Leafs plan to do. Uh, and if it, you can do it without moving one of your big pieces, but you would be sacrificing your depth. So it does take some creativity there. Uh, he's he's going to be 31 in January, so there's tons of risk. You already have Tavares kind of on that aging big contract. Um, but but I am interested to see if, if maybe they go to the eighth year to get the AAV down, or or maybe they you know like if, if they're giving him nine million a year, I'm pretty very very hesitant. Eight's enough for me. Um, like eight point five is even quite a bit. But I, I'm sure the Leafs will give signing bonuses. I'm sure they have no problem with that. It'll probably be middle loaded because you know Escrow is going to be so high in year one, um, but players still want the money. Uh, as, as soon as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it is. It is a. I, I think the pros are obvious. I think the cons are obvious. Uh, the Leafs apparently have some interest, so we'll see what happens there. But Nick, if they make a trade, second part of this question here: Why shouldn't it be William Nylander? <laughs> I, I love that. I love that that got snuck in there. But uh, why it should not be William Nylander? I mean, he's on one of the best contracts on the team, I would say, 6.9 mil uh, long term. He, I mean, this year he showed, anytime you have a 23-year-old player that already has a few 60-point seasons under his belt, uh, a 30-goal season this year, he did sit out last year and, you know, had some tough line mates last year. And I think that's a large reason as to why he kind of struggled. Missing training camp isn't fun, but... But again, I mean, he's he's had the resume as a 23-year-old. He's on a good contract. I think it already looks like a steal of a contract. Um, the value that you have, that you get, sorry, um, from having Nylander on the team, I think is probably greater than any trade that you get from him. Um, now, don't get me wrong. If, if someone's off, like if Vancouver's offering Quinn Hughes, <laughs> you take that trade right away. But I don't think that's going to happen. And... Um, and and I just think it's it's he's just far too valuable for this team in all three zones. He's improving in the defensive zone. He's one of the best, I would say, probably the best player on the Leafs in the neutral zone, uh, with and and without the puck. So, um, and I don't think he's hit his his peak yet. So that's why you don't include uh, Neil. That's why you don't trade Nylander right now. Yeah, I think the contract. So I would probably go the depth route. Like I would probably go the the Kerfoot Janssen route and. and probably Engvall, and then you just go as cheap as possible in the bottom six and at least try it for a year. But if it is going to be someone big going, you have Marner, Riley, or Nylander. It's not going to be Matthews for obvious reasons. It's not going to be Tavares because he has a full no move. So, you know, Marner does make a lot of sense. And why that is is because he has an $11 million cap hit but a $7 million salary for the next five years. So that $4 million gap is what is really what makes him – make some sense as a trade candidate. So if you're a team like Arizona or Ottawa uh, and you can have you have a chance to get Marner for for 7 million for the next 5 years, obviously you're going to offer a haul. So I just think the Leafs would get way more for Marner. They would clear up about 4 million more in cap space compared to Nylander and you know, they also like just between the the added return and the added cap space, I just think it makes more sense. Now, I don't know if the Leafs will agree with me, but um, it's not, I'm not saying, you know, Marner's not a great player. Of course he's a great player, but, you know, the contract just makes it make a little bit more sense there. Uh, Nylander's similar in the sense that he has a $7 million cap hit, or close to it, 
makes about five million, so there's about a two million dollar gap. But it's just half the gap as as Marner. It's only four years. Just with, based on reputation, I don't think you're gonna get as much for him. And then with with Riley, like I would, I think Riley, I would, I'd rather trade Riley before Nylander as well. Um, just because it's just two years of him versus four of Nylander. They're probably going to have somewhat similar value in the trade market. Um, with with Riley, his, his contract, the cap hit and the salary are the same, but you're going to get a haul for him. His skill set's a bit overvalued just because he's below average defensively. Um, you know, if you're not going to pay him in two years, then it, it kind of makes sense not, not to let him walk for nothing and to trade him anyways. Um, so that's that's I guess that's the basics of, of why I, would, I wouldn't, trade Nylander first um anything to add there Nick yeah I think I think it's an interesting point about Marner um I don't think we're gonna see him get traded and I know this is something that that you know um but just brainstorming here I, I don't think he will get traded I think he's a player that you can play when you're down a goal you can play him when you're up a goal um he obviously penalty kills he's great on the power play um you know we don't need to kind of prove the worth of Mitch Marner and I do think he was overpaid by a little bit um, and you know when you look at it from the Leafs standpoint you hope that he continues to grow and, and continues to stay consistent um, so that he meets up to that that contract for me I mean if you've listened to this podcast before you would know that I am a big believer in, in you know trading Morgan Riley I think that's the route that they should take uh, a big reason is because how many left defensemen the Leafs have coming up in the pipeline. I think Dermott could be a top four defenseman um, this upcoming year. Uh, and I just don't think that they have that same depth at right wing um, if they traded Marner. Like if you trade Marner, let's say you get a big haul, you would hope that they get a right winger back that could play in the top six. Because especially after trading Kapanen, they just don't have that player. Like I wouldn't be comfortable putting like Alexander Barabanov, for example, or Pierre Engvall uh, in the top six on the right wing. So uh, I think that's just just from a depth perspective of who's going to jump into the spot is a reason why I would have Morgan Riley over both Mitch Marner and William Nylander in terms of trading them away to make space. Yeah, I think with Marner, like the only way you'd move him is if you got an absolute haul. I right. think they would. Um, with Riley, like... I, Whenever I, like, even, if I put, like, a who says no, I had a poll out, like, who would you rather trade, Riley or Nylander? Riley won, but there's always people that are surprised by that because, like, some people's logic would be, you know, why would we sign a defenseman only to trade one away? And, and the reason is, is because the Leafs' issue is their defensive play. It's not their defenseman per se, it's their defensive play. It's the reason Krug's not a fit, it's why Barry's not a fit. And the quickest way to improve defensively on this team is probably to trade Riley. Now, he's a heck of a player. He's got great impacts, even despite his, his poor defensive play at times. Um, my preference would be to go the depth route, where you kind of you go very, very cheap on your third and fourth lines. You keep all your stars, at least for a year. And then you see how it goes, and you explore maybe a Riley trade next year. I will say that if they sign Petrangelo, it's going to be very hard to re-sign Riley in two years without moving, what, if Marner or Nylander. But, um, you know, they need to have a plan on Riley because, you know, are they are they going to pay him, you know, $8 million a year in two years, or are they or is that too much for them? And if it is too much for them, then I think you have to at least entertain trading him. I don't, I'm not saying you have to do it, but you probably have to at least entertain it. 
Um, I had someone DM me a, a Nylander trade idea the other day. Um, again, I don't want to trade Nylander, but if they, like, let's say they, they, they say, okay, we're going to sign a Petrangelo and, you know, Nylander's the odd man out. Let's say they've already decided that. I would want, you know, a top 10 pick, either, like, New Jersey has 7th overall, Minnesota has ninth overall, you know, and another pretty good player, like Jesper Bratt, like someone like that. Uh, that's kind of my starting point, I would think. Like, I, I definitely want a very good player on an entry-level contract. Um, but again, the draft is before free agency. You don't even know you'll, if you'll sign Petrangelo at that point. You're not supposed to be talking, at least. And then, you know, I just think Nylander makes the least sense um, of, of just because of the contract he's on and the value he provides. He's a good top six forward. Uh, you already traded Kapanen, as you said. Like, it... He is the, I think Riley and, and even Marner are, you know, I would prefer to move them over Nylander. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Okay, so I think we went through uh, Petrangelo. I got one, I guess, one more related Petrangelo question here. Uh, I guess the big thing with me is can you get out of the deal uh, at the end is going to be a huge question for me. Um, but it is at least tempting. Like, it does scare me, but it is at least tempting just be based on how good he is. I think, you know, anyone would say that. Um, in terms of the other questions here, this one's also related to Petrangelo. So at the Leafs project, if the Leafs were to move Kerfoot and Janssen to sign Petrangelo, who would you like to see fill in on the third line? My short answer here is going to be cheap players because they're going to have to be cheap. That's kind of the purpose of moving them. Guys, Good players on entry-level contracts. Nick Robertson comes to mind as an internal candidate. Nick, do you have anyone specifically um, that you would like there? Yeah, so when I read that question, I I kind of took it as if they make no moves, like to, to get a third line player, and I I would assume that they would. Um, but you have guys like Robertson that that could step up into that third line. Uh, Pierre Engvall played some some time at third line center uh, due to all the injuries, so we saw him there. And then Alexander Barabanov, it's it's I really like his skill set. It's kind of difficult to project where players from the KHL are going to come and play for the Leafs. Um, I said that Ilya Mikheyev last year was going to be like kind of a really good fourth liner, uh, and he really surprised me, and I think he's going to be a top in the top six this year. So Barabanov, I'm saying he's going to be a, a decent third liner. I really like his skill set, um, but so hopefully he, he impresses me there. And then there's always Evan Rodriguez that's there. He's kind of like the, the, the wild card uh, in the Leafs offseason thus far. Um, they still need to sign him. Whether he they do do it to the qualifying offer or not is kind of yet to be seen. But uh, I think he would be a decent third liner for the Leafs. But if they did trade Kerfoot and Janssen, I do expect them to to kind of get a player to play there. I, d- I definitely don't expect them to go into the season with like a Robertson, Engvall, Barabanov third line. Yeah, I think you'd have to go get someone. I think Joe Thornton's very possible. Uh, he made two million last year. Um, so you'd be asking him to probably take one million or less, um, but when you when you consider like taxes, escrow, you know what you pay your agent, you know it's it's probably less than like a like a six hundred thousand dollar difference. And he's made over a hundred million in his career. So uh, I know he wanted to get traded at the deadline. Uh, I, I expect him to. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he went elsewhere. It'd be cool to see him as like a Spezza type role. Uh, in Ontario, he's in, he's from Ontario, so it'd be just a cool fit. Um, other than that, I think I think you'd have to find a, a good cheap center. So like maybe like Miko Koivu, Jacob Larson, 
who's a good defensive center from the Sabres. Uh, Evan Rodriguez, who they've already acquired, if, if he'll take like 1.3 or 1.2, maybe that makes some sense. Um, I don't think you're going to have, you know, as, as much offense on the third line center spot. It might not be a, a, probably a bit of a downgrade from Kerfoot, but it's kind of the price you pay for, for going out and getting Petrangelo. And then, like, if I'm trading Kerfoot, I'd want an entry-level, a, a good winger in an entry-level contract. So, like, um, Columbus actually strikes me as a fit because, you know, like, Wenberg hasn't been great the last couple of years. They don't really have much depth at center behind uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, like, maybe, like, Texier's on a team. They have uh, Bemstrom. Uh, so one of those guys I think would make some sense uh, for Kerfoot because they are going to need guys that are on their entry-level contracts and can contribute. That's basically what they're looking for. Uh, Jordan Cairo maybe in St. Louis. Uh, you could take a run at Pilyarvi maybe or Tyler Benson in, in Edmonton. Guys like that. That's who I'd be uh, looking at. So something like Rodriguez at center with Robertson and Benstrom, that would make some sense for me. Um, but I do think you have to make some moves, as you said. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've gone through uh, all the Petrangelo questions. Uh, obviously, that is the kind of the big topic right now, so we did expect quite a few of those. Uh, I, I guess my preference would be to go, you know, Kerfoot, Janssen, Engvall, rather than trading one of the big guys. Uh, you can kind of ex- reevaluate next off season, depending on how it goes with your no depth strategy. Um, so let's go. Let's move on here to the non, uh, the non-Petrangelo question. So first one comes from Jordan Mareski. How about a Jordan Martinuk for Frederick Anderson swap? Picks and prospects could be exchanged as well, but a guy like Martinuk could be a solid three C. Uh, it's two million dollar AAV, good defensively, and plays with an edge. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's funny that um, Jordan Martinuk was actually was mentioned here. I made a short list, pretty much of some forwards, some third line forwards that the Leafs could take a run at, and Jordan Martinuk was there. Just really good impacts over the past few years. Um, I really love his game. He's he's great positionally. He's not really a standout straightaway skater, but uh, just has like that long kind of Pierre Engvall type stride where it seems like he just covers a lot of space. Definitely not as fast as Pierre Engvall, but uh, also just gets takeaways at a very high clip. This year, his uh, takeaways per 60 was actually would have been fifth on the Leafs, just under uh, Marner. So Marner had 2.92 per 60 and Martin Nook was 2.86 so a bit of a puck thief in his own kind of right um he's an interesting player as a trade target because like the tweet said two million two million dollars on a good contract and also Carolina might need to to cut some players like Martin Nook um and like a, a guy like McGinn for example and Martin Nook's a guy that like grades out extremely well in on ice expected goals, but he's just experienced some really bad goaltending when he's on the ice and and low shooting percentages. So his PDO has been been pretty low. So I don't know if that's really gonna, you know, maybe Carolina's Carolina's pretty a pretty smart team usually, but uh, sometimes that does affect people's kind of their um, perspective of players. Now in terms of like a Martinuk for Anderson swap, I think I think. The Leafs can get more for Anderson than just him, but and like it said, picks and prospect could be in change as well. But I would hope it would be Martin Nook plus for Anderson. Yeah. First off, I'm going to say that this is a suspect question because you know it's they're both it's Jordan who wants another Jordan, and they, their last names both start with Mar. So you know, 
It's pretty pretty similar names here. It's a little bit suspect. It might be Martin. Could be Martin X burner account. I'm not too sure. It's a conspiracy. Uh, I don't think that's enough for the Leafs. I know he said picks and prospects could be exchanged as well. I don't know if Martinuk would be the guy to start with. Uh, the thing with Martinuk, yes, I think he's a, a solid player as a depth option. But, you know, for $2 million, I can go out and get someone for free agency like Jacob Larson, even Evan Rodriguez, um, someone like that who can who can get for free just on the free agent market, probably for a very similar price. So unless Carolina is retaining, uh, it's only one year Martinuk, so it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, Martinuk had some good RAPM impacts the previous two years. He looked pretty average this year. Um, you know, if they add an early second, maybe. But I just don't think that Martinuk's the main piece of an Anderson swap. Uh, and I just I don't think you can move Anderson either for that, and unless you have your goaltending situation set. So if you, if you go out and get Kemper, uh, all of a sudden I'm I'm definitely going to be listening to more deals on Anderson. Uh, but you definitely couldn't make this deal before going out and getting a goalie. Um, the other thing I'll say is I think Martinuk is well-liked in Carolina. Uh, he's an assistant captain there. You saw that Shevchenkov video where he's like yelling his name. Um, like if I'm looking at Carolina, other than picks, like I, I'd, I'd like to get Niederreiter at full retention. So he makes 5.25 cap hit uh, for two years. He's a, he a scratch at times in Carolina, but I really like his game. I think he's a Hyman type. Uh, if you got him at full retention, maybe I'd like, listen. But other than that, I think you get more for Anderson. I'd rather have the picks. Uh, just because I think you can get someone like Martin Oak on the free agent market for, for a similar contract. So uh, I think we addressed that one uh, pretty in- So do you think that um, in, in trade negotiations between Dubas and the, the Canes GM, that video is going to come up or no? It might. It might. I think it's it better. It better yeah. The Sheshnikov video. I don't see them moving him. Uh, Carolina, and I just don't see the Leafs having too much interest at that price, just based on like he was available. I just don't think there's a much surplus value over other trades. Um, Nick, we got a qu- question here. I think it's mainly for you. It's from MLG Philly on Twitter. I know Nick has been high on Janssen's potential in the past. Do you still believe he can be a solid top six contributor, or is he a bottom six guy in the NHL? Getting put on the spot here. Um, so, yeah, I have been high on Janssen in the past. Um, I think I still am high on him. Just, I wouldn't use the word potential per se. I I think now uh, he's 25, so kind of what you see is what you get. But um, pretty much, I I still think that he's somewhere in between. I I think that he can be a solid top six contributor if he comes back completely healthy. Um, He's had a track record of being good in the top six. I thought the Nylander, Matthews, Janssen line last year at the beginning of the year was probably the Leafs' best line um, over the past few years. Their metrics have been one of the best. Have They've had the metrics to be one of the best lines um, for the Leafs. So I, I still think that he can be. Um, but you got to also take into consideration now, like he's had a ton of injuries over the years. Last year he had the knee injury. Um, he's had uh, concussion issues in the past. Now, when it comes to knee injury in that game five last year when he, when he got to play, I thought he looked okay. I thought he was skating well. Um, he was put on kind of a, a random line with, with Kerfoot and Mikheyev, which I know a lot of people are kind of questioning Keefe and as to why Janssen played over Robertson. I thought that was the right move. I just didn't really like the lines that night at all. Um, and that line was just kind of a, 
a blah line all night in, in game five. But the good news was I thought Janssen was moving well. I thought he looked effective off the puck, things that we've seen from him. So to answer the question, I do think that he can be a solid top six contributor. Um, now, whether that's for the Leafs going forward, I'm not sure. And the Leafs need to kind of take into consideration the injuries that he's had in the past and their competition now on the left wing. They have Hyman, who doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Uh, they have Ilya Mikheyev. Not sure if they're going to re-sign him. I think they will. He's a player that can play in their top six. And now you have Nick Robertson, who you know, I think is going to compete for a top nine role. So I think the contract at the beginning was fine. I think that a lot of teams are going to be, should be interested in Janssen as a, almost like a buy low candidate. Um, so, so yes, I do think he's going to be a solid top six contributor. Just not sure if it's going to be for the Leafs. Yeah, I say he's about borderline. Um, you know, the line between top six, bottom six is a bit blurred. It's not really what it used to be. I think he's more of a middle six guy. Um, you know, he might have similar value to Kapanen, but he does complement skilled forwards well just because he goes to the net. He has a different skill set than Kapanen. Uh, you know, Kapanen drives a third line. Well, well, Kerfoot is, I'm sorry, Janssen is more of a, you know, a complementary player in the top six. That's what I see him as. I don't think he's going to be driving a top six line every anytime soon, uh, but it, you kind of want him to be your third best player on your second line. So I think that's his ideal role. Uh, I, I think he could do that for other teams. I do expect him to be traded just because uh, he's got a three point I think it's three point four million dollar cap hit. I believe his salary is around like two point six. Like there's a bit of a gap there. Uh, I, I do think the Leafs are gonna want to use that cap room on on a defenseman. Um, so, you know, I don't know if he'll be around next year, but you know, if he is, he's he's a good player. He's he can play with Matthews, he can play with Tavares. I like him with both of them. He can provide some offense to your third line if you'd rather use him there. So he's a good player. I think uh, wherever he goes, he'll have some success as you know a middle six forward. I think that's that's what he is at this point. Um, same same Twitter handle here. So MLG Philly um, wasn't really a question, so I'm kind of rewording it a bit. But Nick, why shouldn't Dermot be traded? So it also says here, check out uh, Skater Similarity, which is on evolving hockey, which is a, a great tool in, in the first place. So I actually checked what his three most similar players are. So it's Ryan Ellis, Brett Burns, and Chris Tanev. Um, so first of all, like before saying anything, I know that you had that that tweet a couple... I know you mentioned it the last one. Who, who did you uh, compare Dermot to? I compared him to Nate Schmidt. I don't really get the Burns Schmidt, and, right. and Tanev thing. Like They're complete opposites. Neither do I. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I think, Ryan, yeah, I think Ryan Ellis is a little bit closer. Um, but regardless, I think each player should be... I think the tool is is a good tool, but I think each player you should be looking at just individually. And and so when it comes to Dermot, obviously his skill set I think is really good. I think it fits what the Leafs want. I don't think the Leafs should trade him because the the value that you get right now from him this upcoming season, especially if he signs for a cheap deal, um, is going to be a lot more than what you're going to get in a trade value in terms of trade value. Mostly in terms of trade value, teams look at two things. They usually look at point production. They look at how much ice time that they've been that the player has been playing, and to a certain extent, play driving. Dermot's had kind of, I'd say, up and down play driving during his time with the Leafs. Um, point totals haven't been there, and the ice time definitely hasn't been there. A little bit this year, but it was due to injury. So 
I don't think they're going to get very much for him in a trade. If anything, he's going to be kind of a, a player that you throw in to like a much larger deal. So, And I, I think that if they do keep him, they're going to get a lot more value from it. I, I really have high hopes for him going forward. So um, I'll let you touch upon actually why he shouldn't be traded before I get into the qualifying offer. Yeah, so I think he's a cheap player. He's going to make one and a half at most, and that's probably if he signs a multi-year deal. He's 23, he's young, he can play the right side, uh, and D tend to break out late. So I think he's he's got more potential or upside than pe- I think most people think. Uh, I tweeted out the Nate Schmidt comparable. Um, I do think that he's a good chance to be a top four player still. Uh, I, I don't buy the LS thing at all. I don't buy the, the Burns thing at all. Um, but I, I do think that he's a good transition defender. He's had good impacts in the past. Uh, if you look at something like, like goals above replacement or expected goals above replacement he does really well you know maybe you don't think he's as good as those numbers suggest but i do think he's he's certainly above average um you're just not going to get a ton for him in a trade compared to what he's worth uh, and the leafs just need good cheap players and someone who can play the right side so he's kind of exactly what the leafs need at worst he's a very good third pairing guy and that's very valuable uh it's like i don't know why people have this mindset that it's you know top four or bust if you're a good third pairing guy that can drive play that has tons of value. And then I still think he has a good chance to play top four minutes, so I just don't think this is the time to move him for, you know, the package you'd get. Uh, in terms of in terms of the, the qualifying offer, there's a good article from uh, Katya at Pension Plan Puppets. So the qualifying offer is basically the minimum offer you have to give to an RFA to retain their rights. So if you look at, like, Athanasio this year, like, he's probably going to get, like, a qualifying offer in the threes, and, you know, they probably won't give him that, so he'll probably become a free agent. But in Dermot's case, it, it looks like it's going to be around, it's going to be under 900000 um, which is a, obviously, like, a no-brainer for the Leafs to offer that. Um, you know, Evolving Hockey has it at, at two years times $1.8 million. He's just not going to get that from the Leafs. Uh, probably one and a half at most if he takes a multi-year deal. Um, and, and reading Katya's article, she pointed out Andreas Janssen. So he took his qualifying offer uh, after he had just had a brief sample in the NHL. Um, and then the following year, he had arbitration rights and ended up getting the contract he has now. So that's four years, $3.4 million. Um, I guess it is a good year to bet on yourself because escrow is going to be 20% versus, I think, 15 the following year. Um, and... You know, when you, when you compare it, like if he gets a two-year deal at 1.4 or something like that, that's about 2.8 million. You know, if he takes his qualifying offer around 900,000, like he only really has to make I don't know, like 1.7 or so um, after you after you count for escrow. So I do think it is fairly likely that he just takes the qualifying offer, so at least back him into that corner. I don't know if the Leafs are really in a position to offer a, a multi-year deal worth more than 1.5. They just don't really have the cap space, especially if they're planning on, on doing big things. And, and you know, I think with Dermot, he does have a chance. If he does have a big year, if injuries do occur. Um, you know, maybe Justin Hall struggles. Maybe there's some injuries. Maybe he looks good in a top four role. And all of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, 2.5 or more over a long-term deal. So, I do think it is a good bet on yourself opportunity, Nick. What do you think with Dermot and the qualifying offer? Yeah, I definitely think I need to read that article. Uh, a lot of those points were actually what I had here. Uh, but I will add in looking at Pierre Engvall. So when you look at Pierre Engvall, like he, t- he got 1.25 uh, for two years. He signed it last year. He could have signed his qualifying offer. 
And as soon as he signed that deal, I looked at it and said, I don't think Engvall's going to be here for very long. I think Kapanen being traded probably helps his case, but Engvall's virtually saying that, that he, like he, I think he needs to play on the third line this year, and I think the Leafs need to believe that he can be a contributor on that third line because I don't think they can afford to trade him over $1 million, sorry, to have a, a $1.2 million player on their fourth line. So when I look at Dermott, I think that... And so, so pretty much Engvall should have taken his qualifying offer, had a prove-yourself year this year, and then um, seen what he would, he would get the year after, where he would have arbitration rights, which is what I think Dermott should do right now. If he signs a deal like kind of similar, like 1.2 for like a year or two, like I don't know how long he's going to stay on the team. So I think it is in his best interest to sign that one-year deal, like you mentioned with the whole uh, impact of escrow. Janssen, I think that's a great example uh, of a player who took the qualifying offer and now is kind of reaping the benefits of having a really good year. He scored 20 goals that year. I think it was 42, 43 points. So I think Dermot's going to have that type of breakout year, but I think he needs to bet on himself this year. And I think he wants to stay in Toronto. He's a Toronto boy. Seems like he gets along with the with the rest of the locker room. He's a fan favorite. I think it's in his best interest to really take this qualifying offer. Yeah, I think for, and Kat, you mentioned that as well, if, if he wants to remain a Leaf and he's from the GTA, um, taking the qualifying offer is probably his best bet. Uh, I do understand why you would want the multi-year deal, just to guarantee yourself, you know, probably north, you know, two, three million dollars, just guaranteed, why not, um, over over the course of that deal. Um, so I do get the, the sense that, you know, why players want to do that. It's just, I don't think the Leafs are really going to be offering him much. He doesn't really have much to, like, much ground to stand on um, because he doesn't have arbitration rights. Uh, you know, if he, all he can really do is hold out. And if he holds out, like, the Leafs are just going to give Sandine or Lilligren an opportunity um, while he's out. And I just don't see him doing that. He's not, he's not a Nylander type of player where you're, like, kind of desperate to sign him. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that we are kind of trending towards that way. Uh, I think if the Leafs can get him on a really team friendly multi-year deal, they'll, they'll at least think about it. But, uh, at this point I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if he just takes the qualifying offer. So, uh, Nick kind of going, uh, much different topic here, uh, in terms of the captaincy. So Daniel Tiller on Twitter, at what point would it make sense for Austin Matthews to become captain of the Leafs? Could we see a San Jose Shark situation like Joe Thornton giving the C to Pavelski? And would Matthews make the captain a new contract request like OEL did? So I'm going to jump in here quick. Um, I just don't see it being a thing the Leafs even consider, especially after the Arizona situation for at least like three years. Uh, will he make it a, a contract request? I don't know. If he does, I think you have to at least contemplate it at that time. Uh, he'll be like 26 or something, so uh, he will be older. Uh, but, you know, I just don't see it happening for at least three years. I don't think the Leafs are worried about it at this point. Uh, I think Matthew certainly understands why he wasn't named captain. Um, so I just don't see it as an issue for the Leafs right now. Did I miss anything there, Nick? I think my answer would just be I'm not really sure. Uh, I know that before they signed, they, um, they named Tavares captain. When Dubas used to talk about it, he kind of downplayed the captaincy in general, uh, said that he wanted multiple leaders on the team um, and just didn't really see the value at the time to name a captain. And then once they got Tavares, I'm not sure if it was in his contract or what, 
but um, Dubis said that you know he's been thinking about it a lot, and, and now he sees the value in seeing having a captain. I'm obviously paraphrasing here, but uh, so I, I don't know. I'm just not sure. Like you said, I, I don't know if it's high on their priority list, um, and and I really can't kind of speak for Matthews on, as to if he would put it in his contract. Yeah, I just I think it's a question we ask a few years from now. Um, in terms of next questions here, so the next two are from at Dan Was might be Dan Was with an extra S. Not sure how you pronounce it. Is there a trade like Anderson for Kemper with Arizona or other parts that could work? Um, I'll start by saying that I think Kemper is a clear fit. He's a good goalie. He makes four point five. The cost certainty for the extra year, because he is under contract for two years, is just huge. So I do think the Leafs would be very interested. Um, and then I guess with Anderson, the, the, the big thing that he makes $1 million. Uh, I know everyone's talking about that. So it's $1 million in actual salary, $5 million cap hit. But he's still a rental. I don't see Arizona going for it. They have Ranta. Um, they have no first or second this year. They have no first next year. So they really need picks badly. Uh, Bill Armstrong, the new general manager there, ran the draft in St. Louis. Uh, Arizona really needs entry-level contracts to have a chance. So I do expect them to go the picks route. So if you're saying the other parts are, are picks, I do think that you know the Leafs would have interest, in, potentially, in Kemper. Uh, I just don't... I, I think it has to be a bigger deal than Anderson for Kemper. What are your thoughts on uh, that type of trade, Nick? Yeah, I'll just add to what you said. I, I just don't think that Arizona would be kind of interested in Anderson. It just doesn't make sense for them. They're already tight against the cap they have a few rfas that they need to sign um plus the whole taylor hall situation so i don't think that they're going to be getting a more expensive goalie in frederick anderson especially one that needs to be re-signed in one year uh like you said they already have rant who's making five 4.25 um so i i just don't i just don't think they're in the business for getting uh, anderson but i do think that they will be well i hope that they're going to trading camper um so but I, I think they're just trying to cut costs at, at goalie right now. Yeah, I think um, it's not the cap that's their concern. It's more actual money. So I think, you know, Anderson makes sense there for $1 million. Um, so it's not a more expensive goalie. Uh, I think they're fine with the cap hit. I just think that he's still a rental. Um, and I just think Arizona is going to be going in the opposite direction. I think they are really looking at trying to get picks uh, because they don't have any. And frankly, they need picks. Um, so, you know, would they take Anderson? I'm sure they would. They could either flip him or, or you know, sure they'd take him. But I do think that their their primary ask for Kemper is going to be draft picks. So um, I, I, I think it would be kind of different deals where you, you maybe you trade for Kemper for, you know, your 2021 first, something like that, and then you'd flip Anderson at a different deal because there's going to be tons of suitors with that contract. So I, I don't think... Uh, an Anderson for Kemper trade makes a ton of sense, but I do think the Kemper to Toronto trade makes sense, uh, if, if that makes sense. You with me there? Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if they took they took Anderson, but um, I yeah, I mean the one million thing definitely does in salary definitely does make it a little bit more swall like they can swallow it a little bit easier. But um, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we're mostly still a rental, but not yeah. We're we're. Uh, I just can't see Anderson there. Yeah, I just I just don't see them going for a rental. Um, okay, other question from him. Would it be better for the Leafs to go after two defensemen like DeMello and Gudis or someone like Petrangelo, which would be just one defenseman, and risk depleting your depth to make cap room? 
Uh, Nick, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, so I have seen a lot of people say that when they have their 2020-2021 lineups, it's they acquire two right defensemen. Um, I just don't see the Leafs doing that. I think that they're going to get one right defenseman if they get someone. Um, not so much because I don't think that would make them better. I just think they have so many defensemen right now. Um, on the left side, you have already have Muzzin, Riley. Then you have Sandine. You have Dermott. You have, uh, they signed Miko Letnin. And then you have Justin Hall on the right side, plus Timothy Lilligren. So I just don't know where like those defensemen, like if you look at each, Jake Muzzin's coming back next year. Morgan Riley, I guess we'll put a question mark next to it. I don't think they're going to trade Justin Hall. Sandine's definitely coming back next year. Uh, Miko Lettinen's definitely coming next year. And then Dermot output, a 75% chance he's coming back next year. So if they do get, let's say, DeMello and Gudis, I think it would probably make them, it'd probably benefit them, but I just don't know where guys like Sandine and Dermot and Miko Lettinen go in order to make space for them. So um, pretty much to answer the question, I guess I would go with, with Petrangelo. Um, I think the Leafs management has proven that they can find guys that are that are quite cheap and that can fill up that bottom six um, lineup pretty effectively uh, when they're completely healthy. So uh, to answer the question, I will go just signing Petrangelo uh, just because I don't know where the defensemen, the other the current defensemen are going to go if they do sign both DeMello and Gudis. Yeah, so I have a similar answer to the first part of the question. So I don't think they need two defensemen either, uh, just because they have so many names. Like, if you get DeMello, it would be like Muzzin Hall, Riley DeMello, Dermot Lettinen, and then you have Sandine, Lilligren, Marinson as, as depth. Um, so I, I, I think the question, in my mind, is more, do you go for the expensive option in Petrangelo, or do you go with kind of a less expensive option with DeMello? Uh I don't really know. I'm kind of scared of the Petrangelo contract, as I've mentioned off the top. Uh, you know, I won't go too much in depth on Petrangelo here just because we did off the top. But, um, you know, the, the structure is going to be a big deal for me. Can you get out of that contract? What's the AAV? What's the term? Um, so I could be convinced, I think, on Petrangelo. I'm just a little bit scared. Uh, DeMello, if, if they don't go the Petrangelo route, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, we'll see what that contract looks like as well. Uh, but I don't think they need two defensemen. So um, I, I guess the answer is one defenseman, and we'll see who it is. Um, next one, next one, Nick. Uh, at JBlue67, what would you give up for Severson? He says he would package uh, Kerfoot or Janssen, a 2021 first and Mac Hollowell. So Nick, what are your thoughts on this type of deal? So I love Severson. I think he's he I think he's a great passer. I think that he can skate quite well. I think he would fit quite very well again with Morgan Riley, great defensive impacts, uh good contract at 4.1 for the next couple years. Um and then let me see here. So what would you give up for Severson? So I don't mind like a, a Janssen. This might be a bit too steep for me personally. Um, I try to keep that first, and then I, I'm I'm very high on Mac Hollowell. I think I love his skating. I think he's probably a top five skater in the whole organization, if not higher. Um, so I would try to give up a different prospect than him, but I don't think that deal is far off of what I would personally give for Severson. Um, but I would definitely try to squeeze and, and keep that first. Yeah. So for me here, 
Like, I like Hollowell, too, on the Marlies. I just, I don't think he's really moving the dial much on a, on a deal of this size, so I'm just going to ignore him for this deal. It's more like a 2021 first plus one of Kerfoot Janssen. I think Kerfoot has more value than Janssen, mainly because he's a center. Um, so Severson's deal is three years times 4.16. Uh, his RAPM was good this year. It wasn't really great up until this year, um, but really nothing crazy. Uh, I think the, the price, like Janssen in a first, is pretty realistic. Uh, or Kerfoot in a first is probably realistic. I don't think I would do it. I think I'd prefer to go after like someone like Uyghur or just assign to Mello and, and keep my assets. Um, you know, he, he I, I'd have to look. Uh, I'd have to watch Severson a bit more. I don't mind him. Um, but I just think that the, like with the free agency market, what it is, I, I'd probably just have interest in just going directly for DeMello and keeping the assets. Um, but I, I don't, like as a plan like C or a plan D, I don't think it's a horrible deal. Like, I probably wouldn't love it, but it's, it's not really a bad deal. Um, so yeah, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea, I think. I don't think we're far, I don't think it's too far off on value. No, no, I think it's a, it's, I would definitely try and keep that first just because, yeah, like you said, there's other options there. Uh, and then my own bias is about Mac Hollowell. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's pretty close to what would actually happen if they went that route. So the next one's from Mark uh, at It's Lugsy on Twitter. That's a two part question, or it's really a three part question. So I'll start with the first part here. Do you think Dubas sticks with Kerfoot at, th at third line center? Or swallows his pride and trades for a stronger third line center. Uh, what are your thoughts on potentially upgrading on Kerfoot, Nick? So, I think if the opportunity comes, he'll definitely um, trade for a stronger C. But the problem is, is getting a player that can play three C that's going to be better than Kerfoot, but also cheaper. You definitely don't want to spend more than three point five, or is it three point four, or whatever it is around there. You definitely don't want to spend more than that. Uh, for your third line center, unless it's a guy like Nazem Kadri that you know for sure um, is going to be a lot better. But so I think that's where the 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 problem is. I don't think so much it's a pride thing. I think it's been kind of it's been pretty public that Kerfoot is in trade talk. So I don't think Dubis has any sort of like personal connection or or personal like reason to to keep Kerfoot just because of the trade last year. Um, yeah, I think he's looking to make this team better uh, and trying to save some money in that bottom six so he can improve the defense. Yeah, okay. So I, I think uh, with Kerfoot, I think he's a pretty good third-line center, to be honest. Like, he looked pretty good in the playoffs, uh, as we, I know we mentioned on here uh, multiple times. Uh, the third line really missed him this year when he wasn't on it, when he was playing in the top six. Uh, he had a pretty bad injury this year. I think it was, like, his jaw. Um, he's been pretty good by, by metrics like RAPM, like, goals above replacement, expected goals above replacement. Again, you don't have to fully buy it, but I do think, like, you could think that it maybe it slightly overrates him, but I definitely think he's a fine top nine player. Um, if they deal him, I expect him to go cheaper rather than more expensive, uh, just to free up money for, for something like a defenseman or, or other forwards even. Um, it's like someone, as I mentioned earlier, like Larson or Rodriguez or, or Joe Thornton, um, so unless you think like unless you're really high on those guys and think they're better, I don't really see an upgrade coming. Just tough to get a center like Minnesota, Winnipeg. These teams badly need them. Uh, they tend to be more expensive. You know, anyone young, you got to look out for like teams like Detroit. It would be all over them. Um, so at Kerfoot with three years, a three and a half million dollar cap hit. Uh, it's about a two point seven million 
per year salary. So I do think there's a chance he gets dealt, maybe like a 35% chance. Um, you know, if if he does get dealt, I'm going to say there's like a 70 to 75% chances for a, a less expensive player rather than a more expensive player because right. it seems like they're going to go the other way, if anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, I don't think that that's the problem with it is getting a player that's potentially better but for cheaper. Like, I don't think that they're going to go higher um, higher than that. So uh, I think we're aligned there. Yeah, like Eric Stahl got traded. If he, if he was available, maybe like I could see it, but I just don't really see them upgrading. Um, okay, so the next part of the question here, what is the ceiling on Lilligren? Do we see him break out next year? And does Dubas trust Lilligren to have him in the lineup next year? Nick, what are your thoughts on Timothy Lilligren? Yeah, so I think his ceiling right now is probably like a 3-4 defenseman. He can eat up a lot of minutes. He's going to really help you in terms of transitioning the puck up the ice, uh, defending the line. I think he does that very good at the AHL level right now. Um, so the next question would be, do we see him break out next year? I guess you'd have to define what breaking out is. I think he's going to start with the Marlies. Um, I don't think he's going to be like the seventh defenseman on the Leafs. I think they have guys like Marinson and Callie Rosen to play that role right now. And I, I don't know if it's so much like whether Dubas trusts him to have him in the lineup next year. I just don't really think they need him right now. Um, I do think they're going to get a right defenseman. So on the right side, they'd have Hall, that defenseman, and let's say like a Dermot playing on the right side, a Sandine or a Lettinen playing on the right side, and then Marinson Rosen. So I, I think that we all like just need to remember that Lilligren's still extremely young. Like he's feels like he's been with the team for for so long, especially with the Marlies, but he's still 21 years old. So defensemen take a long time to to develop. And he's still 21 years old, even though he's been with the organization for so long, playing with the Marlies. So I just don't think there's a rush with him. Um, I'm still high on his skill set. I think that he's a he's a fine skater. He can navigate through through pressure quite well in his own end. And I think that he's going to be a Leaf, just not next year. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of the ceiling, it's a loaded word. Like if you ask me about Yanni Gord's ceiling when he didn't didn't get drafted, I would have said like a fourth liner. So. Uh, you know, realistically, I think like a, a number three is probably in the upper range of what I think he'd be. Uh, I think three four is is what you said is kind of what you're hoping for there. Uh, the you're hoping the offense continues to come. He's still strong in transition. He keeps getting stronger in his own end. I don't think that's crazy. So I think three four is is, is right about right as you said. Um, do we see him break out? Like I'll be surprised if he goes from the NHL to a solid top four player. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a solid chance for him to take a big step. Like I could see something like the Dermot situation uh, a few years back where he comes up mid-year, makes the playoff roster as a third-pairing guy. Um, in terms of Dubas trusting him in the lineup, I just I don't think they're holding a spot for him. Like I think the plan is, as it is with Sandine, is like you bring these guys to camp, you see how they're playing, and, and you kind of go from there. If, they, if they're really impressing you, then yeah, maybe they, they make the jump. But I don't think... Like they're holding a spot for him by any means, uh, or otherwise he would have been in the playoff lineup. Uh, it's just not a decision that you make today. I think you just have to wait and see how he plays uh, if there is a preseason. And then I guess the issue is is like even if he's good, you have Muzzin Hall, Riley probably with a new guy, uh, and then Dermot letting it. So you also have Sandini's competing with, who could very well have a huge huge year as well. I think he's behind Sandini in the depth chart as of now. Um, and and really the least primary goal isn't to 
get Lilligren NHL games, it's it's to win a cup. So, you know, unless he's really impressing, I, I he's he's gonna have quite a lot of competition next year. It seems like, uh, depending on who that new guy is that they sign. Um, so yeah, it will go from there. But I, I I do think, as you said, he's still got a pretty bright future. Might not really be a standout next year, but uh, I do think they'll hold on to him. Um, next question, Nick, from at Selms Roy. Why am I crazy to believe their best lineup would have Matthews, Marner, and Tavares on separate lines? Willie at center as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that... So I'll, I'll talk about the Willie at center. I think we've seen it like enough to know that Nylander's going to be better. Last year he was playing on the left wing a lot, but I just want to see him on the wing playing with one of the top guys. Um, I, I Even in, in game five last year, I think the line was Nylander, Kapanen, and Hyman. I thought that line was lousy all night. The playoffs before, Babcock made the line um, Nylander, Brown, Marlowe. I didn't like that line either. So I, ju- I just I feel like the experimentation with, with Willie at center should just be done now. They, they have the centers like Matthews, Tavares, Kerfoot that can go up the middle. Um, so, so that's my kind of answer for that. Um, and... In terms of like the, the first question, why am I crazy to believe their best lineup would have those three players on separate lines? I think it's interesting. I think that that we saw Tavares in the um, in New York play with like the most random wingers and make them stars. So um, I definitely don't think Tavares is as good as he was in his prime when he was a lot younger. But I do think he could still have that effect. Uh, I actually made lines <laughs> to separate them. So my first line would be Janssen, Matthews, Nylander. Think if it's not broken, don't fix it. That line was excellent last year, as I was talking about before. My second line is Tavares, so Hyman on the left wing, Tavares, Alexander Barabanov, kind of like your hardworking line. All three players like to play in tight, really hard workers off the off the puck. So I think that'd be a cool line. And then my third line is Robertson, Kerfoot, Marner. So pretty much have two really good playmakers. And uh, Robertson might score 40 with, with Marner and Kerfoot on his line. So so those are my lines for that. Um, I guess it remains to be seen whether that would be the best lineup to separate those three. I know that we've been spoiled in the past where we had um, Matthews on one line. We had Marner playing with JVR and Bozak. And then we had the, the Kadri, Komarov, and I can't even remember who else was there. Maybe Connor Brown. So we had three good lines in the past. And we were kind of spoiled back when um, the young players were on the ELC. Uh, so now it's a little bit more difficult to kind of spread it, but but those would be my lines if you separate them. Are your line, would your lines kind of be similar, or would they be different, Kevin? I guess first off, I'll say that like I think the ice time is the, the main reason why it doesn't really work. Um, every extra shot you can get Matthews is worth it. Same is true for a lesser extent um, for John Tavares. Uh, I just think you know Tavares Marner works very well. Matthews Nylander works very well. You can flip the wingers; it still works very well. Uh, you should be able to make a half-decent third line, especially if you still have Kerfoot. Um, I just don't really like, in terms of the lines there, I don't really like Marner with Kerfoot, just because you know I, I think Marner's better off with some goal scorers. Um, yeah, I, don't mi- I don't hate the idea against certain matchups, like against Boston, if you wanted to put uh, Tavares against Bergeron, you want to kind of free up Marner and, and kind of attack them with the Matthews and then a Marner line, I think it could make some sense. Um but in terms of like doing it all year, probably not. I, I, for Willie at center, I'm not a big fan either. Um, I like him on the wing. I just think he's great offensively. He creates a ton there. Um, so, yeah, I, I would 
I would probably just keep it similar to what they did this year, other than the last game. Um, have have base, try to basically run two first lines where you have Tavares, Martyr, Matthews, Nylander, at least some combination of them with good complementary wingers, uh, guys like Hyman that can drive the net, and uh, I, I think that's a recipe for success. So I don't I don't hate the idea. I wouldn't mind trying it in some matchups and just seeing how it goes, but I'm not a big fan of, of, of the Nylander at center idea. I think if I had to rank them, um, I would probably have that strong top six. I think you just, when you pair up, either Tavares and Marner or Matthews and Marner and then Nylander and Tavares or those four in some sort of a combo in your top six. I don't think you can go wrong. Uh, but one thing I do not want to see is the super line, you know, for, for a long period of time or even, even for a full game again. I think we saw it for game four and game five, and I don't think I want to see it at all next year. But I would rather see Matthews, Marner, and Tavares on separate lines before seeing that super line again. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the super line either. But... Uh... Moving on here, actually, good segue here because this question is about the Columbus series. Uh, at Zadik1996, I hope I said that right, what did the series against Columbus prove about this team besides from the defense? Was it that we don't have enough depth at offense or was it that our big players did not show up? Or did Friday not provide average goaltending? Uh, I'll start by just saying that the five-game series is going to be pretty unpredictable. Uh, I think... We also learned that just Columbus is very good defensively and very hard to score on. Um, I don't think we learned a ton about Freddie. just wasn't great all year. It's just a five-game sample. Uh, I think it proved that Robertson can play in the NHL and that Muzzin's important. Um, but really, I think the number one thing it proved is, you know, if we see this playoff structure again, um, not sure if we, we ever will, but it, it pays to be a top team in the regular season. It definitely pays to kind of skip that round like Tampa did. Um so I, I do think that, you know, there's things to work on here. Uh, I know you said besides the defense, but I do think that the defense was a ma- major problem all year. Tyson Berry, Cody Cece, I don't think those guys worked. Um, so it proved to me that those guys kind of need to move on. Uh, but I don't, I'm not going to say that there's any, like, glaring things we learned in terms of, like, these big players can't get it done. Anything to add there, Nick? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I thought defensively against Columbus they were actually quite good. Uh, for the majority of the series um, now again like like you said a five game sample I'm not all of a sudden going to say that the Leafs are really good defensively I mean Columbus isn't a very good offensive team um, plus all year they weren't very good defensively but I will give the credit where it's due I thought that this team was quite good defensively against Columbus um, I do think that offensive depth was shown especially when they had that that super line I, I just didn't think that any of the other players could drive their own line on the second third and fourth line for game four and game five um the whole big players not showing up i think that score not sorry not score effects but just puck luck i think really drives that narrative um if Tavares scores that empty netter and then you know you have a different score at the end of game five i think that no one's really talking about that anymore um and then in terms of Freddie, I I had some tweets that you know weren't really friendly to, to Freddie in terms of how he played, especially in Game 1 and Game 5. I think when the game is very, very tight, soft goals are really going to dictate how a series goes, especially in five games. Um, I just didn't think he was very good all year last year, but but I, I don't think that it really changed my, my opinion on Freddie in general um in terms of trading him i think that his age his contract and just his his year overall is kind of what's driving uh kind of 
my hope that they do trade him for someone else. But, um, but yeah, I, I just don't think that you know we can take too many very large takeaways from the Columbus series in general. Okay, the next ones here are uh, all draft-related, so I'm just going to fly through the first two here. Uh, first one is from LeeSky38. It's about Will Cooley. I don't, uh, I don't think you've seen a ton of him. Yeah, I watched a little bit of him when... But, but usually when I'm watching those games, I'm looking for Jean-Luc Foudy, so I'm definitely going to let you take this one. Yeah, so uh, the question, Will Cooley as a second-round pick. Toronto boy and brings grittiness and toughness the Leafs need. Also can score a few. Uh, I don't have him in my top 62, so he's just not a second-round pick for me, for any team, uh, Leafs or otherwise, regardless of needs. Um, I think, like, if he's if, if he happened to be there in, like, the fifth round, maybe I consider it, but I think he'll be gone by then. Um, don't really care about where he's from. Like, I just, I just think you don't even evaluate it. Um, if you want that kind of skill set, uh, Ozzy Weisblatt makes more sense. He brings physicality. He'll fight. He's, I think he'll be a good second round pick. Uh, he's just way better in transition, far more skilled. Uh, he's also a great story, Ozzy Weisblatt. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys Google that one. Uh, I think that's your guy if you're looking for that skill set. I just I'm not a huge fan of of Will Cooley's skill uh, skill set. We'll get into more second round targets later because there's a question on that. But uh, he would not be a guy I would consider in the first three rounds at, at the least. Uh, next one was Askarov our bust, and the next question is about Askarov too. So I'll just fly through this one. Um, I just think he's gone in the top ten, so I, I think bust. I guess would be the answer. Uh, but the next one's about Askarov too. So at Gary Gambin. I assume the Leafs would love to see a Skarov drop to 15, but I think Carolina will take him if he drops that far. Carolina's at 12. Should the Leafs offer Anderson Plus to the Hurricanes in a trade to get their pick? What other teams do you think might take a Skarov ahead of the Leafs? Um, Nick, I'll, I'll ask you this in a second here. I'm just going to say off the bat here, uh, I do think they take him at 15. Um, if he falls that far, I don't think he'll be there. Um what do you think, Nick, about Anderson to move up three spots? Uh, I just don't think the Canes would do it. Um, I think that when you look back at other goalies that have been traded for high picks, uh, I think it's happened, like, I saw a tweet where it's happened, like, three times in the last ten years, and two of them were Lula Morello. So uh, I don't think the Canes are going to trade that first-round pick for Anderson plus. Um, and then when it comes to other teams that might take a scar of ahead of the Leafs, I'm looking at the Minnesota Wild. They have two older goalies in Dubnik and Stalock, uh, both kind of entering their, their mid-30s. Uh, they do have Hunter Jones, who they drafted second round of the last year. Last year, um, Leafs fans might know him if you were watching Nick Robertson during the regular season. He's the goalie for the Peets. Um, but if anything, that just kind of told me that the Wild would be interested in, in drafting goalies that high. So I'm looking at them for a potential team to take Eskar off ahead of the Leafs. But uh, yeah, if, if he falls to 15 I, I and none of the other big names fall, are still on the board, I do think the Leafs would take him. Is that kind of where you are, or are you looking at a different team to take him? Did you read this as Anderson for 12 straight up, or did you read it as Anderson for Anderson and 15 for 12, like to move up? Oh, I thought it was Anderson straight. Yeah, so in terms of uh, the other way around, like I don't think I'd trade Anderson just to move up three spots. Um, I'd have to at least consider it if like Lucas Raymond is there, and um, or or like Rossi or, or maybe Askarov. Then yeah, sure, maybe I'll consider it. Um, I just think you'll get a better deal for Anderson. Like I'd rather pay the draft picks. Like I'd rather pay 
second round pick to move up, for example, which is what Arizona did last year. Uh, so I just think you can get a better deal for like even t- pick 10 or 11. Um, and if you're moving Anderson, you really need to have a goalie replacement. Uh, and I don't think you're going to have that before the draft unless you trade for Kemper. So we'll see. I mean, if, if you if you went out and traded for Kemper like this week, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that Ascaro is probably gone after like in the top 10. Um, honestly, anything wouldn't surprise me at this point. Um, you know, the Sens have two picks. I could see them taking him at five, even though they don't really go to Russia too much. Um, <laughs> I could see, like, even the Ducks, they could, like, it would make sense for them to to trade Gibson and then draft him, you know, thinking they'll trade Gibson down the line. Uh, New Jersey has Blackwood, but they have so many picks, so maybe it kind of makes sense. Uh, I think Minnesota needs a center, but, again, they need goalies too, so maybe that makes sense, you know, I don't think Winnipeg at 10 or Florida at 12 are good fits just because, you know, Winnipeg has Hellebuck. Uh, Florida has, they, they signed Bobrovsky forever, but they also drafted Spencer Knight with a first-round pick last year. So I, I just think if he if he's out of the top 10, I think someone's trading up, uh, and I think he's gone by 10 or 11. So, um, yeah, I do think they take him at 15 if he's there. Um, and then this is just last question here, Nick, who is on your list of hopefuls at 15 plus 44? So, uh, who appeals to you at 15? So I think first, first of all, if any of the big kind of 11 players, um, if they're still there, so that's players like obviously Lafreniere is not going to be there. I don't think Stutzel is going to be there. Not Byfield, not Drysdale, but if a guy like, let's say even Rossi, Quinn, Holtz, Raymond, Perfetti, Askarov, Lindell, and Sanderson, if any of those guys drop to 15, I think you take them and you don't ask any questions. Um, I'm expecting those players to go by then. So I think my list is actually pretty similar to yours, just based on the last podcast. I really like Seth Jarvis. Um, Amirov is on my list. And kind of my flyer there is going to be uh, Jacob Perot. Uh, I think that he's had he's been pretty inconsistent in the games that I've watched, but I think that the skill set is there. I don't think that he's kind of a guy that would come to the NHL very soon but I think that the skill set is there and he played on a pretty poor OHL team and I think that I think that he's a guy that could project into a pretty good top six forward so that's kind of my flyer there but I I do like Jarvis and Mirov. yeah I so my draft rankings are out on uh, Maple Leaf Hot Stove um so if you if you really want to know my hopefuls you can go there uh kind of break each player down uh I think I'm, I'm expecting the top 11 to be gone. Um, my top 10 plus Sanderson, basically. Um, if, if I'm, I'm in for trading up. If, if someone's there at like 13, um, I'm in. If, it'd have to be like Rossi or Raymond, though, or maybe Askarov. Um, but, you know, I guess Lundell is kind of the dream if, if he's there. It's kind of the one guy I can maybe see falling. Uh, I think Jarvis and Amirov would be happy with. Um the other guys that I think I'd be okay with, like I'm not jumping for joy, but I think Holloway is going to be a, a, a solid uh, top six guy, uh, second line. Uh, you know, Quinn, Perot, Pride both provide a lot of goal scoring. Um, Maverick Bork's pretty skilled. I think that's a little bit early for him, uh, but he's pretty skilled. Connor Zari is a solid uh, two-way player. He's got great hands. Hendrix Lapierre, he's hurt most of the year, but he's really skilled and was really good at the Alenka. So any of those guys I think I'm okay with, maybe not thrilled with, but okay with. And if if 
I would consider if if no one's falling and if Jarvis is gone, I consider trading down, just getting more picks. I don't think there's a huge gap between these guys for the most part. Um, so I think at that point I'm I'm hopeful of trading down, um, but I'm also open to trading up. I just don't think you need to to pick in the spot you're given. But in terms of 44th, the second round pick, if they if they do keep that pick. Uh, is there any names that have really stuck out to you? Yeah, two in particular. You'd be you won't be surprised for me to say Daniil Gushkin uh, for that forty fourth pick. I absolutely love his skill. I love his speed. Um, I think the to- the offensive toolkit and creativity is is really really good. Um, another player that kind of like Perot has all the skill set, but might take a little bit of, might take a little while to to come up to the NHL. But again, if you're gonna kind of swing for the fences, I think that's your guy. Another guy that I've been looking at is uh, Ryan O'Rourke, uh, plays for Sault Ste. Marie. I think he's he's almost like kind of a larger Rasmus Sandin, but just not as good, obviously. I think he's really high hockey IQ, um, just understands the time and space of the game. I really like the way he jumps into the rush and just positionally very, very sound. Um, kind of seems like a Leafs type of pick, just a high IQ guy who isn't really you know a standout skater, but... If you put him with Barb Underhill, then uh, you know they can improve him there. So those are my two main guys of the second round. Uh, who, do you have anyone that's? Do you have those guys or some different guys? I don't have O'Rourke. Um, don't really see the Sandine comparison, but he is uh, from the Sioux, so that always gives you an extra edge. We'll see. I think just like in general, is someone falls like I had Robertson in the twenties last year and he fell. Uh, just looking at last year, my, my top 30 or my top 31 is about six guys that fell to 44. So I expect someone to be there. Uh, Yam Isak at 21 would probably be the ideal guy. Uh, I don't think Grands will be there, but he'd be really a good fit for what the Leafs need. Uh, I don't think Reichel will be there, but he'd be a good fit. Justin Barron was hurt, so maybe he falls. Uh, Bordalo is a bit of a... You know, he's he's undersized, but he's got a really good shot, and he's skilled, so I think he'd be cool there. Uh, Poirier, if he falls, not very defensively, but he's, he's got so much speed and skill that at that point, I think I'm taking him. Uh, and then Marat Kuzindinov, if he's there, uh, he's, he's a good two-way center. I know uh, Scouching loves him. Um, Gushkin, as you said, I think he's really fun, so I'd really like him. I really like Lucas Cormier. Um, he's always just been a favorite of mine. I think I might have ranked him too low. Uh, you know, Foodie, if he's there, is a really interesting pick. I don't think he'll be there. Uh, I don't have him that high in my rankings, but he, he'd at least be interesting just because he's so damn good in transition. Uh, Hervin is solid. Toby Nemo is solid. Uh, Ozzy Weisblatt or, or Jake Neighbors would be cool. But really, like, short answer here is someone in my top 31. Uh, if they get someone else, one of those guys in, in, at 44, I'm, I'm also pretty happy. So uh, someone's going to be there that you don't expect. Uh, we'll see who it is, but that, that's that's kind of the short answer for that question. Yeah, I think I think Cormier would be a dream. I I have here like guys like Paterka, Poirier, Reichel going before that. Um, but if those guys fall, I mean, obviously you take them over guys like Gushkin and, and O'Rourke. But uh, like you said, like we see guys drop all the time, and even with that fifteenth pick, like I'm hoping a, a big name drops to that too because we see it every year. Um, I just have no trust in, in GMs in terms of drafting anymore. So uh, it's exciting to, to have, have you know, first and second round pick for the first time in quite a while. Yeah, I do think Cormier will be there. I'd say over 50%. Um, I don't think Paterka will. I don't think Reichel will. Um, but someone's going to be there. It's because 
how the draft works is you just take your top guy, right? Like you don't if if you have like say the Kings have Lucas Raymond third overall. Once or sorry, yeah, the Kings. Let's say they go Stutzlet two. They don't have another pick, so it doesn't really matter how high they are on uh, on someone like Raymond. So that's what kind of why guys fall. It's because you only have one pick. You can't really um, you know make any. You can't make any. You can't pick your second guy. I guess so. Someone's gonna fall. Uh, but Nick, uh, I think we answered a lot of questions here, and we'll see everybody next week.